Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church and visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our executive pastor, Manny Colazzo. This morning, as we begin the series, Summer in the Psalms, I want to talk to you about a famous tree. Who knew that trees could be famous? For example, the giant sequoias in California's Kings Canyon and Sequoia National Parks, they are renowned for being among the largest trees in the world. The largest giant sequoia tree is estimated to be over 2,000 years old, is approximately 275 feet tall, and is called, anybody know? General Sherman. Another famous tree is found right here in our backyard in Pebble Beach. The lone cypress on 17 Mile Drive is a Monterey cypress and is one of the most photographed trees in the U.S. But what about trees mentioned in the Bible. If you think about it, the Bible opens with the mention of two trees in Genesis chapter 2, and it closes in the last chapter of Revelation with another tree. But the tree that we are blessed to look at today is found in Psalm 1. So if you go ahead and open up your Bibles, as we begin our series with the first psalm, Psalm 1. I hope you're blessed this morning. So don't worry. I'm not going to bark at you. I'm not going to pine away too much on this. I'm not going to branch out or go go too far out on a limb. I'm not even going to try to stump you. But no one leaves this morning until we hear something Tremendous from God. Don't worry, I didn't make that up. I took it from another pastor. (laughs) Psalm 1, everybody there? Awesome. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. In verses 1 and 2, the psalmist introduces us to a man who is blessed. And then in verse 3, he illustrates that the blessed life he is living resembles a tree. And this isn't just any tree. This is a tree that when you look at its condition, you could say, Wow, that tree is blessed. First, notice that this tree is planted. When a tree is securely rooted, it won't be easily shaken. 
The roots are important not only for stability and the security of a tree, but this is also where the tree gets its water from and where it gets its soil nutrients from. And even though they're hidden beneath the surface, when trees have a healthy root system, it will generate healthy top growth. Here's something else about this tree. Healthy trees don't have any dead or broken branches. With the exception of birches or eucalyptus trees or maples, its bark should not be loose, peeling, or, or have any holes. Its leaves will be vibrant, full, and lush with no bare patches. And so perhaps the most visible sign of a tree's health and of this tree's health is that it is productive. Shoots are budding, new branches are being formed, and fruit is growing. Third, a healthy tree perseveres. When a tree is healthy, it's robust. You see strength in it like a sequoia. Like the lone cypress, it's able to withstand the elements, strong winds, rain, and extreme temperatures, and it can resist disease and insect infestation. This tree is an illustration of a person living the blessed life. They're planted, productive, able to persevere adversity. But at the end of verse 3, the psalmist uses another word to illustrate what he means by blessed. In all that he does, he prospers. A blessed life is number four, a prosperous life. You see, the writer's intent is that way that we look at what these individual signs are telling us about the tree's overall condition. He wants us to know that it is a healthy tree, a tree that is thriving at the root and flourishing in its fruit resembles a blessed life. Do you know anyone like that? You would look at their life and you could say, wow. They're blessed. And it's not necessarily that they're exempt from the suffering and discomforts or inconveniences of life. But when a storm does come their way, they're not crushed by it. They don't try to sweep it under the rug and ignore it. They don't bury their head in the sand and make pretend it doesn't exist. It seems that they've discovered how to live successfully in the midst of the unpredictability of life's challenges. As you watch them from a distance, or maybe even up close, their life could be unraveling. A rebellious child, sickness or injury, job loss, car or money troubles, unexpected expenses, persecution, or relational rifts, but yet they possess a quiet, settled, healthy confidence. Oh, they might be a little charred and smell like smoke after walking through the fires of testing, but they're better instead of bitter. Their character has grown in humility and maturity, and how they've weathered the experience is inspiring and useful to others. This is what it looks like to be blessed. 
You see, it's not the absence of problems. Like the tree, he or she possesses the qualities that are necessary to thrive in any circumstance. How about you? Do you want to be blessed? I know I do. I also want to be a blessing. I want to be blessed so that I can be a blessing to those around me, my wife, my children, my family, friends, community, and church. Wouldn't you like to be a blessed parent, spouse, friend, roommate, employee, or neighbor that's a source of blessing to others? Would you like to know how to do it? Well, notice how he refers to the blessed person in verses 5 and 6 when he contrasts them with the wicked. Those who are blessed are called righteous. Those who are blessed are called righteous. He says, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You see, folks, when a person makes righteousness a priority, and what do I mean by righteousness? Living rightly before God. Being right with God. When a person makes these things and, and doing right by God, it affects what they do and what they don't do. And verse 1 lists out three things that the blessed man does not do because he knows that God blesses a righteous life. He knows that God blesses a righteous life, so he does not do the three things in verse 1. First, the blessed person walks not in the counsel of the wicked. This has to do with advice, guidance, the counsel that you listen to. When you find yourself in a pinch or squeezed into a tight spot, and maybe you don't know what direction to go in or what course of action to take, where do you go to get advice in order to know what to do. Do I take that job? Do I make the move? Do you try this medical treatment even though there are some risks? Do you take advantage of the business opportunity that's presented itself? You just received a call from a debt collector. What's your next move? Your son or daughter, your husband, or maybe parents inform you of some bad news. Where do you go? Who do you go to to get advice about how to proceed when your spouse informs you, I want a divorce? I would guess that some of our greatest regrets are because we acted on bad advice. Maybe it was a friend who encouraged a poor decision or a so-called trusted professional who recommended, don't tell the whole truth. Or maybe you listen to yourself. How did that work out for you? Do you remember the last time you listened to what your body wanted, even though your conscience was screaming, don't do it, don't go there, walk away now, say no, don't make that phone call, don't send that text. Didn't work out quite the way you expected, huh? Were you blessed? Of course you weren't. 
because it wasn't the righteous choice. You see, folks, God blesses a righteous life. And so what we learn from this blessed man is that if we want to cultivate a blessed life that thrives in any circumstance, we should be wise about the counsel that we heed. Because when we take a piece of advice without discernment, what we've heard can have major ramifications. For example, rather than obey God's commandment, remember that Adam did what his wife told him to do, and it cost him and every person since death and the heartaches of sin. I'm sure you've heard the saying, one bad apple spoils the whole batch, the whole bunch. I've always wondered if that was true about fruit. And so I did some research, and I found out that it is true. I read that as apples ripen, they produce a gas hormone called ethylene that stimulates ripening. And so when you store apples together, the ethylene that each apple secretes stimulates the other apples around it to ripen faster. And so this is where this saying gets its meaning from, that the bad behavior or poor attitude of one person can have a contaminating effect on other people. This is a situation that the blessed person avoids. The blessed person does not stand in the way of sinners. This has to do with the models or examples that you follow. Who do you look to for inspiration or motivation? Whose blogs or podcasts do you subscribe to? Who has your ear and is able to speak into your life? When you think about your social media, who do you follow on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook? For the different hats you wear in life or, or goals, perhaps, that you want to achieve, is there a person that you aspire to be like? For those of you who know my story, you know that I didn't have a strong father figure growing up, but my mom worked hard to surround me with some good role models. One of my earliest memories was of an older gentleman. His name was Anthony Auletta, an Italian from Yonkers, New York. Anthony invested in me. He was a friend to me, always encouraging me, praying for me. And when I would give my mother a hard time, he would step in and mentor me. Another young man, his name was Nathan Robinson. Nathan was a young man I met when I first started martial arts when I was eight years old. He was a more experienced martial artist who eventually became a friend that my mother encouraged and years later would be the guy who led me to the Lord. And from a distance, as a young man, a young martial artist, I idolized martial artists like Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris and Steven Seagal, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and, believe it or not, for some reason, even though I didn't know anything about politics, I admired Ronald Reagan. Eventually, as I became a Jesus follower, my pastor, Pastor Nate's dad, Bill Holdridge, became a model of God's grace to me and a Bible teacher. My father-in-law, an example of hard work 
and commitment to his wife and family. But here's what I found. Whoever I followed or associated with, they influenced my values and my life choices. So why should we be cautious about the examples we follow? That's easy. See, because God blesses a righteous life. You see, if you're seeking to cultivate a blessed life that thrives in any circumstance, heed the wisdom of Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. Because what happens to fruit also happens to people. One bad apple can either spoil or, in this instance, can strengthen the whole bunch. So, the blessed person. The blessed person is wise about who he listened to. He or she is wise about who they follow. And third, the blessed person does not sit in the seat of scoffers. See, this has to do with your communication, your speech, the way you use words. And where do I even begin? The Bible is full of instruction about how to use our words. Colossians tells us, get rid of dirty language. James says, we, you all must be quick to, quick to listen and slow to speak. Well, why should you be cautious about your talk? Well, words... And I don't mean this in a mystical, new-agey sense, but practically speaking. If you want to cultivate a blessed life that thrives in all circumstances, words can greatly shape the quality of your life. Think about what happened the last time you lied or lashed out in anger. What did that do to the atmosphere in the home, in the classroom? in the office or in that meeting. Remember what happened to your son, your coworker? Do you remember the look in your wife's face? Better yet, what did it do to you? Did it promote health and growth? Innuendos, double meanings, dropping hints, but never completely stating all of the facts. Like a magician using sleight of hand to mislead, we can bend and twist words to generate gossip, plant doubts, embed suspicion, slander someone's character, or kill their reputation. See, this is why the word picture in James's letter is so effective. James wrote, a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. Speaking of the tongue. As Californians, we are familiar with the aftermath of forest fires. Yes, on trees. But what about those who have been hurt by those sparks that are spit at you, at them? Words set off fights and disagreements. And have you ever witnessed what a spark of slander or gossip ignited in a church, family, or community can do? As we stand by watching it run its course, others are guilty of fueling it, and what's left is destruction. A faint reminder of what used to be. No life, but death, and certainly 
not blessing. This is why the blessed person cultivating a blessed life that is capable of thriving in every circumstance doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers because he or she knows that God blesses a righteous life. Now don't forget what he means by blessed. Verse 3 defined it by illustrating that the blessed man is like a tree. And I love this because what it does is that it secures us to God's definition of blessedness. And it prevents us from distorting what the blessed life looks like. The blessed life is not one that's unaffected by pain and suffering, impervious to disappointment and heartache. No. A better picture of what God sees as a blessed life is resiliency, like a healthy tree. And how do we develop the resiliency of a blessed life? Well, to keep it simple, the blessed man or woman does not do the three things in verse 1. Doesn't walk in the counsel of wicked, does not stand in the way of sinners, does not sit in the seat of scoffers. But how do we spot poor advice? so that when we hear it, we can reject it? How do we identify poor examples so that when we see it, we can keep a safe distance? How do we keep our words from doing damage? This brings us to verse two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. Although the phrase law of the Lord can refer to God's 248 prescriptions and 365 prohibitions, This is what he gave the Jews to instruct them on how to worship and live. The law of the Lord can refer to those commands. But the law of the Lord is also a common way to refer to all of God's word. See, the blessed man delights and contemplates on all of God's word because he knows that God's word is where he gets to know the one who is righteous. And he gets to know what he says is right. In other words, not only does God's word advise him, but it's also where he finds the wisdom to distinguish between good and bad counsel. In God's word, he finds the righteous examples that he should follow. And he finds examples that he should not follow. And he finds the wisdom to tell the difference. It's through God's word, as he finds pleasure in it and reflects on God's words, that it also influences the way he speaks. So, if you want to cultivate a blessed life that thrives in all circumstances, follow the example of the blessed man. Don't do the three things in verse 1, and do the two things in verse 2, because God blesses a righteous life, and you will be, verse 3, like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Now, look at the sharp contrast the psalmist makes in verse 4. The wicked are not so. The wicked are not what? They are neither righteous, nor are they blessed. Their life does not resemble a resilient tree that is thriving at the root and flourishing in its fruit. Instead, he says, the wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. In case you don't know what chaff is, 
I didn't know what it was either, so I had to research it. Chaff is that light, flaky shell or husk that encapsulates a kernel of grain. In order for grain to be useful, the chaff must be removed, separated from the kernel through a process called threshing and winnowing. After the crop was harvested, it was piled onto a hard surface called a threshing floor, and heavy wooden sledges drawn by teams of oxen or horses or donkeys would circle the straw, separating the kernel from the chaff. Once it was separated, people would go in with a winnowing fork. It's kind of like a, a, a pitchfork, and that pitchfork was used to pitch it up into the air, the straw, the kernels, and the chaff, and what would happen is that the kernels of grain would drop while the light, airy, flaky, useless chaff would be driven away by the wind. When the psalmist thinks of the wicked, he can't help but be reminded of that chaff being driven by the wind. Why? Well, unlike the blessed man, the wicked lack the one characteristic that gives the blessed man the kind of weight and substance and permanence that pleases God. They lack righteousness. Right standing with God. Since the wicked haven't cultivated the righteous life that pleases God, verses 5 and 6 explains their curse. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, here's what I understood when I read about the nature of God's judgment that awaits the wicked. Because remember, he's contrasting the blessed man with the wicked man. Unlike the blessed man, the wicked are not embraced by God. God will tell them, I reject you. Unlike the blessed man, the wicked are not known by God. I never knew you, God will say to them. Unlike the blessed man, the wicked are not even recognized by God. He doesn't give them any recognition. I don't know you. I'm ashamed to know you. Unlike the blessed man, the wicked aren't even claimed by God. You are not mine. That is the curse of judgment. Certainly not blessing. Now, it would be easy for me to stop there, put a pretty bow on this, repeat my points, and move on. It'd be easy for me to leave you thinking that this psalm is about achieving the blessed life by modifying your behavior to live righteously. You could live here and say, so I want to be blessed, so I'm not going to do the three things in verse 1. I'm going to give myself to the two things in verse 2 because Pastor Manny said, God blesses a righteous life. But if I left it there, 
I'd be misleading you. I have to confess, that is not the righteous life that God blesses. Now, admittedly, yeah, the world would be a better place. And you might be a a more religious, moral, and ethical person than someone else if you avoided walking in the counsel of the wicked, if you avoided standing in the way of sinners, if you avoided sitting in the seat of scoffers and committed yourself to delighting and meditating in the law of the Lord. But I must warn you, you will be crushed under the weight of trying to be righteous. You will fail at every turn at being righteous, and that is not the life, the kind of life that God blesses. But you could try again and again, and you could try again to pay off the debt that your failure has racked up towards God. And here's what you discovered. Because you continue to fail again and again, the rate of what you owe God will always outpace your capacity to pay it off. You see, folks, our valiant attempts at being right with God and doing right by God are not good enough for God. A God who is perfectly righteous demands and deserves perfection, a perfection that none of us can measure up to or ever achieve. And this presents a problem for us, doesn't it? We're all wicked. There are no righteous people. Romans reminded us in chapter 3, verses 10 and 20, there is no one righteous, not even one, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Folks, this is probably the main lesson I learned during the week I spent living as a resident at the bridge. There's no difference between me and those men. Oh, I might be able to dress up my sin a little bit nicer. But it's no different than theirs. And your sin is no different than mine. It might look different, but it is no different. We're all wicked. There is no one righteous. But the problem gets worse. When we fail to live righteously, even if we have good intentions, because we're all wicked, we're unable to withstand the judgment of God. None of us are worthy of standing in the congregation of a righteous. God, in his righteousness, looks at all of us and says, I don't know you. You're not mine. That is not the kind of life that God blesses. So perhaps you're sitting there thinking, so did we just waste our time interpreting and applying this passage? (laughs) No. There's another way to look at this psalm. The gospel way. So allow me to reorient you with the gospel. Here's a mistake that we often make when we come to the scriptures. You are not the blessed man Oh, I know you want to be, but you are not the blessed man. The blessed man here is Jesus. 
Jesus was and is the only one righteous enough to receive the blessing of God's approval and acceptance. Jesus is the blessed tree in verse 3, thriving at the root and flourishing in its fruit. Jesus is the only one of whom it could be said. In all that he does, and this was the giveaway. If you were thinking, I'm the blessed man, in all that he does, he prospers. Certainly, that's not me. And so when I say, when I've been saying God blesses a righteous life, here's what I mean. Jesus is the righteous life that God blesses. When you put your trust in what Jesus did on the cross to forgive your sin and make you righteous with God, he gives you his righteousness that you don't deserve and will never be able to earn. He gives it to you as a gift. Think about that. God credits his rightness with him to your account because of Jesus' righteous life and redemptive work. Folks, that is the only payment that God will accept. And this is why he is able to declare you righteous once and for all. This is why he's able to look at you. It's because of Jesus that he's able to say, I know you. I recognize you. I claim you. That is the blessed life, isn't it? that God recognizes us, that he doesn't reject us, that he and I, that we are okay. You and me, he says, we're all right. We're on good terms. That is the blessing. But the blessed life gets even better. Now you are free to not do those three things in verse 1. And to do the two things in verse 2, now you're, you're free to do it not out of obligation or guilt because you're trying hard to earn the blessing of God. You're going to bless me, so I'm not going to hang out with them, and I'm going to stay, and I'm going to zip with my mouth, and I'm going to get in God's word. I'm going to delight and meditate in it because I want the blessings of God. Now you're free to live that way because you are already blessed. I'm free to live that way because that's how blessed people live. So start with the gospel. The gospel says because of what Jesus did, you are blessed. You see, that's not only something God does for you in that he blesses you. But because he has blessed you, it tells you who you are. You are blessed. Now live and be who you are. Walk not in the counsel of the wicked. Don't stand in the way of sinners. Sit in the seat of scoffers. Delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.